myself in that state of mind. I was wondering, I got a reason, I don't I got a thing I want to do, then I low is that little is that little and then we hit play can't really get much louder than that geez louise maybe i need to crank crank in my headphones my monitor headphones yeah all right well is that it that that waveform looks so tiny but i can hear myself really loud um i gotta play this back and find out shit another delay Ugh. We are just going to go for it. I uh, listened back, and I think it's loud enough. Um, maybe I'm just remembering that the waveforms looked larger on my software here, um, but uh, it sounds loud. I'm in a new room. I'm upstairs in the little uh, music-slash-guest-slash-junk room-slash-office. Um, it's the utility room in the house. It's like the equivalent of a junk drawer in your kitchen where you keep uh, your assorted utensils and you know, your your grill stuff and your random knickknacks and paper clips and rubber bands and you know, the junk drawer. This is the junk room. Um, but it's not it's not a junky room. We just uh we just have our, our stuff in here sort of haphazardly. Um anyway, I am gonna squeeze this in. It is a live at ya, coming at you live Tuesday, August thirtieth. Holy shit, it's almost September. Um, the fall is coming, which is, uh, which is good, but also just observing time flying by is scary, but, uh, Hey, you know what? These things are, are keeping me grounded and I'm going to do another one. Um, I had this thought I was, uh, in the restroom right before starting cause I didn't want to get interrupted and, uh, it crossed my mind. I was like, man, what if these, what if these catch fire and go viral? And I was like, well, they're on SoundCloud for free. What happened if I woke up in like a week, like, you know, I, I, put, I post one of these on a, on a Wednesday morning and then I go check it the next, the next Wednesday when I'm going to post the next one. And I'm like, oh, what if I saw a million views? I'd be like, or, or you know, listens or whatever. I'd be like, oh, that's fantastic. And then it, it dawned on me that I, I, nothing would be different. I would just have a million views. You know, they're not like monetized or anything. So, uh, so maybe the slow roll is good with this uh, music adventure. Um, at least in terms of the, the podcast. Um, again, not attached to the results, really. This is supposed to fuel the rest of the music career. But, uh, you know, if I pull that thread a little bit further, I, I, know, I don't think I'm ready for um, a, uh, a music career person to be like, all right, let's do this. You know, like if I got famous overnight, which I don't expect, um, and, and I don't think that's really what I want, but if that did happen... Um, I, I don't think I've got the infrastructure ready to sort of monetize that and turn that into a living. Um, I don't want to rip anybody off, but if I do have something valuable and worthwhile to share with the world, it would be nice to make a living from it. You know, people do make a living as artists and 
I think that would be a cool way for me to reconcile my passion with um, making a living out of it and getting to do it and wake up and, and having that be my job instead of having another job that I, that I go to and try really hard at to do well and make money to, to live the rest of my life and also pursue music in the evenings and on the weekends. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, part of me, part of me thinks, um, that I got into golf when I first moved to Arizona because I had slowed down the music thing and I wasn't giving it my time, my time and my attention. And golf was a nice outlet. It was social. It was something to challenge myself. It had a physical component. It had sort of a get out, um, into nature. You know, you're walking the grass and you're, you're enjoying the trees and the birds and chasing your balls and bushes, um, losing your balls in, in the water right that at least that's my mo um there is no water there is no water oh, i've heard i've heard a lot of guys you know in in the few rounds that i've played there's different opinions about whether to acknowledge the water and avoid it to you know course management do you hit along along the left side if you if the water's over to the right or do you just ignore it and swing but uh but yeah some guys are like don't even don't even mention it don't even look at it don't think about it because if you're thinking about it then you're going to hit it in there think about where you do want to put the ball um hey think about what you do want to do not what you don't want to do right so anyway i think i got into golf because i was like well you know what this is it sort of filled that hole that music as a passion and as a evening and weekend activity um at least up to this point has been filling um, and, uh, but you know, it's really nice to have that pendulum swing back over to the musical side where I'm saying, Hey, let me, let me put out some different content, some new content, have some new initiatives, put out these live atches. I've always wanted to do the podcast thing and now finally doing it feels really good. Um, but at the same time, I'm, um, I'm not really any further along in my journey of making this a livelihood. Um, partially because maybe I'm not willing to to take that leap or make the sacrifices necessary to make it my livelihood um, part of it may be I'm still honing my craft to the point where it's ready but um, it, this crossed my mind the other day when I was thinking about getting ready for some shows I thought to myself if um, and I think I heard either I think it was Glenn Hansard uh, the guy from once once is this fantastic movie about a busking Irishman um, who's playing on the streets with his acoustic guitar in Ireland and forms a band and cre creates a demo and finds this woman to, to bring in and sing some lovely music with. Um, and it's, it's cool. It kind of blends reality with fantasy because, you know, they made this movie, but it, it is very similar to Glenn Hansard's story, right? This is a musician guy who um, didn't have any interest in school or any sort of formal um, traditional life path. He said, I'm a musician. I'm a songwriter. This is what I'm doing. His band was called the frames and, uh, Glenn Hansard created, um, or, or achieved popularity practically overnight with once this movie that came out and he was the star of it. Um, originally, I think he was just going to provide the songs for it. And then, uh, it was a low, low budget film and, and the director, or whoever was responsible for making the movie, you know, finally said, Hey, you should, you should be the lead male. Um, and he did fantastic and he's a great performer and, and God bless him. He deserves all the acclaim. And, and, uh, he wrote some beautiful songs, um, heartfelt tunes. I take a lot of inspiration and I'm taking, uh, notes on how he approaches it. You can tell he's genuine. You can tell he delivers with passion and he doesn't, you know, he's, 
he's not going through the motions. That dude wails when he sings. It's like he, if it's pain or if it's joy or if it's just the essence of life, it comes through his voice and his beat up old guitar in his tunes. Um, but I think he said in a live recording of one of his concerts that, uh, you know, this success overnight was almost, it was almost shocking and, and like a deer in the headlights kind of moment because yeah, I think the way he put it was very clever. It's like, you know, you, you're trying to create a life in music and you're, you're knocking on that door of the world and you're saying, here's what I've got, here's what I've got, here's what I've got. You know, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And then one day, if the world turns around, you know, you're tapping the world on the shoulder and if the world turns around and says, what? What already? Okay, what, what do you want to tell me? You know, are you ready for that moment as an artist? And I, I thought to myself, if, if that moment happened to me, what would the, you know, if I could play seven songs in a set, um, what would they be? Um, and it was this cool little mental exercise, and I haven't really given it the thought or the time that it deserves. But, um, but I think I will, as I've got some gigs in some new places coming up. It, it'll probably be good for me to hone in on what are the seven to nine original songs that I'm like, hey, I feel comfortable playing this. It's something that I want to share with the world. It's something that I think the world should hear and strangers could latch on to. And, and that is the Garrett Anderson music experience right there in those nine songs, which is tough because, you know, if you're playing if you're accustomed to playing these four hour long bar gigs, part of what you're doing is, is keeping yourself entertained and brushing up on old originals and writing new songs. And, you know, as a songwriter, that part never really turns off. I'm, I'm constantly writing uh, new tunes. So it's like, okay, if I could only play the same 10 songs or, or if it was in my career's best interest to really hone in on these 10 songs, what would I play? Um, so I'm going to have to sit down and think about that a little bit. I've got, I've got a couple ideas, but, um, you know, and it, it's a different sort of challenge and a different approach because the alternative being let's throw as much out into the world as possible and see what comes back. That's really interesting too, because, you know, on the same CD that you put out or the same project you put out, somebody's favorite song is going to be different from the next person's right and that's part of the beauty of music is that it hits people in different ways and that each song has a, a life of its own um but uh but you know i think my whole pivot in my mentality about how to approach a potential music career maybe would benefit from this honing in and i notice um i've mentioned him before on the podcast martin sexton is a big influence of mine um, I just think he's a fantastic so solo performer um, and carries a room and knows how to work a room, knows how to work a show. Um, you know, similar to Glenn Hansard, you know, he was playing the streets and he figured out what worked and what he could deliver that people turned, stopped and listened to, right? Um, and I, I want to find my own voice in that, but I, I, I'm certainly inspired and influenced by Martin Sexton and, and Glenn Hansard. But uh, one thing I do notice is that Martin he's got a good repertoire and, and he's put out a lot of original material, but for his live shows, especially for his solo shows, he kind of has his wheelhouse of these are the tunes that I'm comfortable with. I know them inside and out to the degree that I can perform them in unique ways each time I go play them or, you know, it's, it's generally the same tune, but he's so comfortable with it and he allows himself to be adventurous in his performance of it that even though 
I've seen the tune before, I'm still excited to go see it, right? I think that's a really interesting thing that he's able to do. Um, if, if I want to be a little bit more critical and judgy, I'm like, man, it'd be great to hear these, these deep cuts off these albums that I don't hear him play. But, um, I, you know, it, it works. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I could be a little bit critical about it and, uh, and selfish as a fan, or, or even just judgmental as a fan, as a critic, and say, yeah, he, he really only plays the same 15 songs mostly, and then maybe, you know, 25 songs tops, um, which I don't know if those numbers are right, but that's just what I came up with, um, for example. But uh, I don't hold it against him, man. Like, you can only practice yourself up to this amazing level of proficiency with so many tunes, right? So it's why not hone it in and have really, really great versions of really, really good tunes, right? That'd be better than, you know, if the world turned around uh, tomorrow and said, Garrett, what? Okay, here's your, here's your 45 minutes in front of all the music executives and all the rock stars um, that you want to, to play your songs. What songs are you going to play them? Um, now, th th that's sort of merging two worlds there, because I want to do the songwriting thing and get my songs in the hands of proficient artists that already have followings and somehow figure out a way to monetize that. Um, and then on, on the other side is also be an engaging performer. So again, I'm, I, th there's part of me that's continuing to be pulled by this ingrained and, and um, sort of traditional idea of a music career being you're the performer. And I want to, I guess I want my cake and eat it too. I want to be able to do that very well. And it's a good outlet for me and it's fun to play around. And frankly, it's, it's really good extra money on the side. If I can go play a, a Thursday night or a weekend night, um, you know, it supplements the income. So that is the one form of sort of monetization of all of this, um, all this effort and all this passion that's gone into my music. So um, I don't want to abandon that. And also it's just incredibly worthwhile, of course, um, getting to share the music experience and be the performer is, is really great. But, um, but I also want to invest in the music career via songwriting thing. Um, so yeah, on the, on the topic of trying to be a good performer myself. I'm a little bit um, agitated. I'm agitated today by a lot. Um, just, it, I thought it would be kind of funny to approach this podcast with a little bit of a different energy. I rushed home from, from work, which is frustrating and demanding. And, uh, you know, got home and I was like, man, I'm really irritated. It's been kind of a rough like week and a half, like nothing too serious, but just sort of agitated. I was like, I'm just going to dive right into this podcast with a little bit of agitation and it'll give it a little different feel. But, um, you know, like, um, for instance, just we had a couple large expenses unexpectedly and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my goodness, we are, you know, kind of cash broke at the moment and I hate worrying about money. Um, and I really appreciate that for the most part, I've got it pretty well budgeted out and balanced out. My wife and I work pretty hard where we can kind of set it and forget it right with our accounts and our bills and things. But, um, but when it gets kind of tight and you're like, Ooh, wait a second, who, you know, look, we got to coordinate who's sending which checks to, to where and what, what debts are we going to pay down right now? And, and that kind of stuff that gets kind of, kind of stressful. Right. And it, and I internalized it as like, Oh, I failed right this month. I failed, <laughs> you know? And, um, I, I, 
I really feel for people that deal with that month in and month out or paycheck in and paycheck out. That's a different kind of stress that, um, that I personally like to avoid. I'm so I'm in this new room and looking out the back window and there's this little bird hopping around on the, on the trees. And it's a nice little, little dose of perspective. That little bird is just enjoying his life, trying not to get eaten by a bigger bird or a snake or something. He's just doing his thing, trying to find some food, trying to find a mate, some beautiful simplicity. I love watching the birds. That's one thing I've noticed about getting older. I'm like, oh, I just want to sit around and watch the birds. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, money trouble is always stressful, right? So I, I, we're going to get through it. It's going to be fine. Just got to get a couple paychecks in the in the accounts and, and not be frivolous um, and stick to the budget. But uh, so yeah, don't worry about, don't cry for me, Argentina, over that one. But you know, it is something that just kind of stresses me out. And I'm like, all right, shit, like I'm not going to feel my, like myself and like happy-go-lucky easy going until this all gets sorted out um, similarly my gear is acting up I've been trying to rehearse at home a little bit and I uh, I've got my guitar running through some pedals into the into the mixer and then back through the monitor and the speakers and somewhere along the line there's something funny going on like it sounds okay for the first 45 minutes and then it, you know the volume kind of decreases I start getting these clippy low um, in, in the low frequencies, I'm getting this clippy distortion crap, and I'm just like, oh, no. So I thought it was the guitar because it's a new guitar. I'm, I'm unfamiliar with it, and the kind of troubleshooting I was doing, I was pl plugging in my, my other acoustic electric guitar, and, uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, that, that one sounds fine. Maybe it's the guitar. So I thought I had it isolated to the guitar, um, and I brought it into the, the guitar shop, they took a look at it. I tried to recreate the issue on the spot because it was just happening like a half hour earlier while I was practicing. I said, oh, it's happening right now. I'm going to take it to the shop right now. We're going to plug it in. It's going to do it. And then they're going to say, oh, yeah, I know what that is. I know what we need to fix or at least have some more information to go on. Of course, I get there. We plug it in and it sounds great it's not acting up at all. I'm just wailing on this guitar and I'm like, you know what, can I sit here for like 45 minutes? Because sometimes it takes a while, it feels like it takes a while to act up on me. Um, and he's like, sure, man, go for it. We're just doing this. And they were getting ready to wrap up, but they let me stay a couple extra minutes, which was great. Um, of course, I can't reproduce the sound. I say, you know what, hang on to my guitar. I'm going to go home and, and uh, you know, and they said, you know what, let us keep it for a day. We'll try to reproduce um, the issue. And we'll also just kind of open it up and take a quick peek at the electronics and make sure it's nothing obvious. I said, okay, thanks. So um, fast forward to the next day or two. Um, I'm like, all right, well, they couldn't figure it out. They're not going to do any more work on it. They say, you know, co call the manufacturer, see if it's, if it's under warranty, if you want to send it in, if it continues to, to be an issue. And then also just reminded me to do process of elimination and make sure that it's not another piece of my gear. So right now I'm in continuing to investigate and try to um, hone in on the issue. And I think it might be somewhere in my pedal board because the other day I was practicing and the issue started happening a little bit. Um, uh, either the pedal board or the speakers maybe. Right, but it's so inconsistent that I don't think it would be a speaker thing. I feel like if it was a issue with the speaker, a certain frequency would make a distorted crackling all the time, but maybe not. I'm I'm not well versed in gear. I'm not a really like engineer 
uh, when it comes to sound engineering. I have had the luxury of surrounding myself with people that are good at that and, and kind of, you know, I got to be the diva and the rock star, baby. Um, and just the creative person and uh, some other folks, I surrounded myself with very talented, very smart people that were able to help me through any issues with gear. And then for the rest of the time, I just cross my fingers and go, oh, I hope if I plug this in right and then do the knobs right, it's gonna be okay. And that part I'm, I'm decent at. I, I've got a decent enough ear and I've done it enough that I can kind of do that. But um, if, if it acts up, I mean, all bets are off other than changing the strings on the guitar and maybe tightening the truss, truss rod a little bit. Um, it, that's that's pretty much as far as I go. I'm not going to be in there soldering any of the wiring or anything like that. Um, you know, swapping out pickups, making modifications on amps and those sorts of things. I have an interest in it, but my interest in picking up a guitar that works and getting to play some tunes is, is what I'm more interested in. So all things being equal, I say, here you go. Can you help me fix this? Because... I've got an acoustic guitar at home, so I'm going to go play on that while, while you help me fix this. So in some ways, I feel like it's a blind spot in my technical proficiency. But in other ways, I'm like, well, not, nobody's an expert at everything. So the guitar shop calls me back and says, hey, you know, we can't do anything at this moment. Come pick it up, right? And I wanted it back because I wanted to continue researching what the issue might be. Um, just by trial and error. And um, so on the drive home from the guitar shop that evening, I'm at an intersection um, at a light. And uh, I, I start going, you know, light turns green. I start going. And of course, uh, little red and blue lights behind me, I notice in my rear view mirror. And I'm like, Ooh, okay, is that for me? And I kind of look around a little bit, and he doesn't have any, like, whoop, whoop, so sirens on or anything, just the red and blue lights are flashing, and I'm trying to look in my rear view mirror if I can see into the, it was like an SUV um, police vehicle, and I couldn't quite make out the officer that was driving, uh, if, if he was trying to give me a signal or point or anything. The person in front of me, pulls over to the right now there's no shoulder it's just like three lanes of a road and the person in front of me we're both in the right lane at this point the person in front of me pulls all the way over and pretty much stops and i'm like okay um and now so it's the cop car me and then the person in front of me um all pulled over to the right um stopped or, or going like two miles an hour and eventually the person in front of me realizes that it's not for them and they, and they drive off. And I'm like, oh shit, is this for me? And just wanting to do the respectful thing, I, uh, I drove you know, to the next cross street, went down into some neighborhood and the cop sure enough followed me into the neighborhood because I didn't want to stop on a busy road. Um, so I get pulled over and I'm like, what is going on? I suspect it's a taillight or something. Um, and I'm like, okay, I'm not doing anything wrong. I obviously wasn't speeding because we were at a light. So, you know, what's going on here? This, this can't be too bad, right? So I'm trying to give myself a little pep talk. Um, I turn down the music. 
right? I get, I, and even though I know I'm not doing anything wrong, of course I get the jitters, right? I get a little, little jitters in my legs and I'm like sweaty palms a little bit. I'm just like, oh man, what's going on? I just did not want the hassle. Thank goodness I was on my way home from something and not on my way to something where he was making me late. Um, and, and that would have added a level of frustration. I was like, you know what? I was just cruising home, listening to some tunes, enjoying the scenery and I got pulled over. It's probably going to be nothing. No big deal. Right? So, um, the officer comes up and gives me a very, very quick spiel about like, Oh, we're not pulled you over. And he says, uh, the reason I pulled you over is you've got suspended plates. And I said, Oh man, really? He goes, yeah, can you um, give me your license and proof of insurance, please? And I was like, okay. So I reach into the uh, – and, and you know what? To be honest, I, I was a little freaked out, and I was a, I was a little bit awkward and just unusual, not, not my happy-go-lucky self. I think in the back of my mind I was like, people are getting shot by police sometimes. And I was like, you know what? I'm a white guy in a Toyota Camry. And there's nothing going on, but I am still going to be really deliberate and really respectful with this officer, right? I don't want any reason for this to escalate, um, which is, I'm sure, a crazy unfounded fear. But still, why not play it safe, right? And just be super duper respectful. So I, I literally told him when he said, can you show me your license? I said, yeah, I'm going to reach into my pocket now and get out my wallet to show you my license and like waited for him to give me the a-okay and then i said and i'm going to reach into my glove box here this is where i've got my proof of insurance pull out the proof of insurance and as i'm handing it to him i notice uh that it, it, it the at least the proof of insurance had lapsed i know that we've got our car insurance is up to date but i was like oh no i didn't print out that piece of paper right so my insurance company sends me an email and says, hey, print this out, put it in your car, right? That happens every three to six months or something. And I forgot to do it last time. Just slipped my mind, didn't see that email, whatever. So this says, you know, it's proof of insurance through like March of this year. And here we are at the end of, at the end of August. So I'm like, oh no, is there really an issue? So now in the back of my head, I'm like, wait, I was, I was, I'm sure we've got insurance. Is there any fucking way that this didn't like auto renew or, you know, just what, there's gotta be some sort of glitch, some sort of explanation. But as I'm handing it over, I'm like, man, I might be fucked here. This is not looking good. Um, so he takes that stuff back to his car and, uh, I'm glad I did this while he was in his car, looking up the records and, sitting there doing whatever he's doing and I'm I'm just kind of sitting in the driver's seat panicking um I go on to my bank my my insurance company app on my phone right they've got an app on my phone and I've never done this or used this feature before but it had a proof of insurance feature and I clicked through and sure enough it shows that insurance is current it's the it's the piece of paper that I was supposed to print out that I forgot to print out is on my phone. And uh, I'm like, okay, sweet. So at least I can prove that we've got insurance and, and that it didn't lapse. The officer gets back and he starts giving me a spiel. He's like, Hey, here's what's going to happen. Uh, I am not, you know, Oh, so when I handed him my, my insurance piece of paper that I had and that I knew had shown that it, that it was only effective through March of this year, I said to him, hey, it looks like 
I don't have the most recent copy of my proof of insurance, but maybe you can look up on the insurance number or something like that. Um, you know, trying to, try to talk myself out of it a little bit or give him ideas of solutions as if he hasn't encountered this before. Like I'm doing his job for him, right? But I had to take a crack at it. So that, that was my thinking going in. He's going to figure out that, yes, we're still insured. I just don't have the right piece of paper. So he comes back and he says, hey, I was able to verify that you've got insurance, so I'm not going to write you up for that. However, the Department of Motor, Motor Vehicles here, or the MVD, Motor Vehicles Department, um, has, you know, they've, in, your, in their system, it shows as your plates are suspended. So, you know, you have to call them first thing in the morning and get this sorted out. I do have to give you a ticket for being unable to um, show proof of insurance. And when he's saying that, I, I start to interject because I was going to tell him about my phone. And I was like, well, I got that. And he goes, let me finish. Like kind of, like kind of sternly. And I was like, oh, shit. Like I thought this was a conversation. It wasn't really a conversation. He was telling me what was happening, right? And I'm like, oh, no. Am I going to get my moment to say my piece? So he's like, hey, let me finish. The ticket is going to be the blah, 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 blah. And he reiterates the thing about calling uh, the department the first thing in the morning. And I guess he's giving me a break right? Even that would be a break. And I'm like, okay, well, so far, so good. Um, he tells me that the, the fine for driving on suspended plates is like terrible. Um, but he can see that it's, uh, and that the, the reason that they had was that we had a lapse in coverage, but he could see that we didn't have a lapse in coverage. So he wasn't going to enforce something that wasn't right. He was going to give me an opportunity to sort it out with the correct agency. So he's being stand up as far as I could tell. But um, so he gets to the end of a spiel and he's getting ready to write me a ticket and I, I raise my hand. So like, imagine me, I'm a pretty big guy, right? Six, three sitting in the driver's seat of a car. The cop is right outside my door talking to me, leaned over. And I'm like, I'm so nervous and agitated at this point that I raise my hand and he, he calls on me, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a 30 year old man raising my hand to a police officer on, on a you know, routine traffic stop which is fucking ridiculous. So um, the humor was lost on me at the time because I was just, I was literally asking him, can I speak now? And it was almost a way of being like, hey, that was, that was you were being a little bit of a dick there, right? Now you've got me in a position where now I feel like I've got to raise my hand and talk to you like I'm in a fucking school. So um, <laughs> I, uh, I raised my hand and he calls on me. He's like, yes, do you have something to say? And I said, yes. I can pull up my proof of insurance on my phone. And then it was almost like a light switch. He, he goes, he goes, all right, let's do it. And I was like, Oh, whoa. Like he was really cool about that. Like I thought he was going to be like, sorry, you know, that ship has sailed. You were not able to do it when I asked you you're fucked. Right. That's what I expected based on his demeanor up to that point. But it was like, all of a sudden he became really cool. He was like, yeah, let's do it. I was like, Oh, that was kind of informal and, and nice. Like, all right, so I, I go to hand him my phone. I remember vividly that the phone was still plugged in from playing some, some audio. I was listening to a Tasty Fish Jam. Um, and uh, I, I, I go to hand him the phone, and the cord is coming out of the stereo of the car. It's actually a tape, a tape deck adapter. That's how old this car is. So I've got the tape in, and then out of the tape is a little eighth-inch you know, that I can plug into my phone. Um, still sounds great, um, but kind of funny because I don't even think you see tape 
uh, tape decks in cars anymore. But this cord was coming out of the out of the stereo into the phone, and I was like, "Oh, hold on, let me unplug that for you, so you can take a look," because um, it was basically tethered at that point. I was like, "Here, let me unplug this for you." Um, so he takes a look and he says, "Hey, all right, that looks good. Um, make sure you get this cleared up, and you're free to go." I was like, oh, my God, thank goodness. So I got off scot-free. The dude was, he turned out to be fine. I'm sure he cut me a break by letting me drive home in that vehicle. I'm sure that he would get in trouble if somebody heard this. <laughs> no, I'm sure that maybe maybe on a different day he says, no, you can't drive this. You got to get it towed, right? But, um, you know, being what it was and seeing the facts as, as I was able to present them, he let me drive off. But still, just like, oh, it's, it's agitating to get pulled over. So for the rest of the night, I've got that jittery feeling, just like I did something wrong, right? Um, and then, so it also crosses my mind, this guy was behind me. Was he keying in my license plate for the sh just for the random chance that it was suspended or that he was gonna turn something up? Or, and I think this is more likely, do police cars have optical recognition where they've got a camera pointed out their front um, and then it reads my license plate and then a computer automatically tells them if you should pull that person over or not. I suspect that is the case based on what I know about technology <laughs> but, uh, but I'm not sure. Um, so either he keyed in my license plate just hunting and fishing for, for somebody that, that he should pull over or his computer told him, hey, pull this person over, there's an issue. And then that kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies a little bit because I was like, you know, I was a dude in a car in front of a, a police officer just minding my own business and, you know, got pulled over. I guess rightly so if the system told him there was a problem and, and, and there was a problem with the data in the system that I need to now correct by getting my insurance company to fax over something to the MVD, right? which I've done, uh, yeah, I did do it the following morning. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was just like, I, I wasn't doing anything wrong. And then I got pulled over. But you know what, maybe it's a blessing. Maybe this could have reared its head in a much uglier way if this guy didn't do it. And then maybe the next cop doesn't give me the, the leeway that this guy did, you know? So maybe it's a blessing in disguise. And then and then the other question is, is it? do I think it's okay that cops are just you know, cameras on cop cars, at least this is my theory, I haven't looked it up, but cameras on cop cars are going around and, uh, you know, pulling information. I think that's, I think that's okay. I don't, I don't feel like that's an infringement on my civil liberties, uh, although it did at the time, and I, you know, I, I might have ranted about that that night when I was still, it was still fresh, but, uh, you know, maybe there's some it's actual bad people out there doing some crazy shit and I would want them off the roads as fast as possible and maybe that's okay you know maybe maybe I am completely okay with signing over that that right uh, because right driving is a privilege you have to maintain good records and good status and you can't have crazy motherfuckers driving on the road so if there's a reason to pull them over and the system can tell you that proactively is that is that good I, th I think so I don't know so anyway, that added to the agitation as well. On the topic of motor vehicles, there is no substantive update on my daughter's bus stop for school. 
last time I, I told a little story about a guy barking at us about playing in the rocks and, and what this other mom was going to do. And I, it seems like it's going to be an issue, but we had, I've been at the bus stop once or twice since then. And you know, honestly, there's such quick in, interactions and quick moments, right? You, you get your kids to the bus stop a couple minutes later, the bus picks them up and takes them and everybody goes home. Right. So it was kind of ridiculous that this was becoming a huge ordeal anyway. But um, I'm I I'm too stressed out and busy with other actual shit to worry about this very much anymore. I'll still get updates from that mom. She kind of told me, like, ah, I've got this uh, lawyer buddy who specializes in HOA and he told me blah, blah, blah. And that they can't just use some general language rule to apply to this. It would have to be explicit. And I'm like contract jargon I'm not in the mood like this is not important there are bigger fish to fry maybe we just keep our kids off the rocks I don't know uh, pick your battles kind of thing um, or let them play on the rocks and let people come yell at us you know like wh whatever it's gonna be it's gonna be um, I did not get an update this morning because my daughter barely made the bus this morning we, uh, I, I got her out just in time for us to see the bus. So it's kind of weird. It's a 0.3 mile walk or drive to the bus stop. So I've been throwing the kids in the car, dropping off my older one at the bus stop, letting her get on the bus, and then taking the younger one to school. This morning, we, we, we get to the, the corner and the intersection of our street and the street where the bus stop is off, and I see that the bus is coming. And I was like, oh, no, we're going to miss it. Lo and behold, I get to merge and make my left-hand turn right behind the bus. So I'm like, hey, wait, this might actually work. So Emma's like, oh, there's, I was like, Emma, there's your bus. And uh, it was cool. We, we get up to the back of the bus. It stops. It puts on its blinkers and, and extends that little yellow arm thing and, or the little stop sign thing. I, don't, I can't remember which one it is. Um, and uh, and it, it starts picking up the other kids. And I'm the car right behind it. So I say, Emma, that's your bus. Hop out. <laughs> go, go get the bus. So it, I'm so proud of her because like an action movie and without skipping a beat, she's got her backpack on. She's got the door open. She closes the door. She runs down the sidewalk and gets on the bus in time. And I was like, oh, even sweeter. Like I'm still in the car driving <laughs> with, with my little one. So we can just drive to to the little one school and drop her off but uh no i am kidding about the last part i obviously wouldn't try to do this um it would be much more responsible to get there on time and uh and let her walk onto the bus with proper supervision and safety i'm sure the bus driver loved this move um yeah let a kid run out from the car behind you i mean she was safe we were in the far right lane she ran on the sidewalk it's not like she was in danger but uh, that is certainly not the the pickup protocol that they teach um bus drivers i'm sure so uh so yeah i've got to talk to my little one today and see what she thought about that but i was proud of her because again it's not like she's the most uh can do person she's she's kind of like me we need to think about things before we go for them so I was super proud of her that she was able to do that. But, uh, but that means that I wasn't at the bus stop to talk with this other mom and find out if there was any updates um, about old people yelling at us for playing on grass and rocks and stuff. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, some different things that, that kind of just got me fired up and a little bit agitated. And just, again, I know... It's small cookies in the grand scheme of things, but hey, let me be grumpy for a day, 
right? Let me be a little bit grumpy and then we'll, we'll keep it moving. Um, hang tight just a second. I need a little sip of water. And I need to grab my telephone, which is charging over here because I got some notes in it about Lockenfest. So this weekend in Virginia, there was a huge music festival called Lockin Music Fest. And they had a, a free stream on the internet for it, which I thought was really cool. And um, I was extra excited because one of my favorite bands, Fish, was playing Friday and, or Friday and Sunday nights. So I got to watch a little bit of free uh, live fish stream, which was cool. And uh, once I realized that it was a free stream, I, I just kind of had it on at, at all hours of the day over the weekend. I basically like couch toured Lockenfest, which was really fun. Um, I forgot sort of that the appeal of seeing some random artists and uh, seeing the, the, the festival scene. Um, it was really cool. Um, and uh, they had a really, really smart setup where the bands, at least for the daytime sets, maybe not the headliner sets, but um, the daytime sets, there was a, a huge circle on the stage that rotated, kind of like a, um, like a Lazy Susan. And it had a big dividing wall down the middle. So like imagine the diameter um, is, so it's cut in half at the diameter and one half of the circle is the band facing you that's performing at that moment. And then behind the wall, the next band is setting up. And then when the first band ends, they just rotate the circle and the band that was set up that you couldn't see is now facing you ready to rock. Like some of these bands didn't even miss a beat. They were already playing their first song when the thing started rolling. You know, they were like, hey, this is our festival set. We're gonna milk it for all it's worth. Um, so I loved that. I thought that was very, very clever. Um, maybe that's convention now i don't know but that was the first time i'd seen it used and i was very very impressed so um i tuned in early on friday yeah early-ish on friday um and there was this soul singer dude who was wrapping up his set this old black guy with like these eyes that looked like they had cataracts in them just kind of cloudy old soulful eyes and he was wearing some sort of vest without a shirt, um, you know, showing some skin. He had a band of, of younger looking like white homies that were playing some soul music. And this guy was singing some soulful tunes. And I caught the very end of his show, like the last song. And he goes into this beautiful rant about like, hey, my friends. And, and he was calling them, he was calling the crowd brothers and sisters. It's like brothers and sisters, you know, we are here under the hot sun. And just like the hot sun, we need to let love shine all around and down upon all of us, just like the sun, because we are brothers and sisters. And he was just given this beautiful, you know, impromptu appeal for peace and love and all that great hippie jam festival shit that I just like, it fuels me, right? I'm like, yeah, like, 
I think I get from that what some people get from religion, right? You hear that a God loves you, and it's like, yeah, this feels good. Like, we're supposed to like life. Like, life is supposed to feel cool. Um, you know, this guy was just pretty preaching. Um, I haven't looked up his name yet, but I will. Um, and Because uh, I, I was like, hey, that's really cool. I, I don't know what his music was like. It, seem, it seemed kind of just in the wheelhouse of some soul funk kind of stuff. But... Uh, but man, I was I was touched, and I was like that 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 was my first exposure to this Lockenfest, and I was like, oh yeah, festivals, because I used to go to to a fair number. You know, I went to Bonnaroo when I was younger, went to a string of All Goods in a row, with a really good group of friends, um, and uh, you know, I hadn't been to other than the Fish Festival last summer, so I guess I'm not that far removed. But it had been several years uh, in between. I'm going to all good, and then uh, having kids, that pretty much said, all right, I'm not going to do that anymore, um, at least, you know, for now, and then also, it's just getting kind of tired and older, and, you know, it's, it's a marathon, so I was happy to be watching it from the couch, and um, just being reminded of, man, how cool is it that, that there are music festivals, and that people come together for these moments of peace and love and happiness, and, and obviously also, like, tripping out, and, you know, uh, getting rowdy with the uh, with your uh, recreationals, some recreational chemistry, to quote Mo. But, um, so yeah, this guy was talking about the sunshine and love and my brothers and my sisters. And I love it when people, oh, brothers and sisters, right? I mean, we're, oh, we're, we're all one big family, right? And then uh, Peter Wolf from the Jay Giles Band came out, and his set was kind of, I noticed about his set, I, I wonder if he understood that he was maybe you know, he was, he's like a rock legend, but like kind of a rock dinosaur too, right? Like, I don't know if, and it's, it's funny that they, he goes by Peter Wolf from Jay Giles band, right? He knows that Jay Giles band got more traction back in the day. They had that song, Angel in a Centerfold. Does she walk? Does she talk? Does she come complete? That, that one, my angel is a centerfold. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, right. So he had that, that super duper smash hit with the Jay Giles band, I think. I hope I got that right. Um, and now he's Peter Wolf from Jay Giles band, right? So he, he's a good performer, right? He's kind of a frontman guy doing his thing, spitting some cool lyrics and some, you can tell that his songs are really well put together, but it felt a little bit flat compared to some of the other jam bands and some of the other, you know, vibrant up-and-coming acts that were part of this festival but um, he, he put on a good show he had some really talented players with him I noticed that he kept name dropping like oh this is a tune by blah 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 or at one point he said like I got to write and perform this song in the studio with with real rock royalty Mick Jagger you know what I'm talking about and uh, he was so he was name dropping some really really important figures in rock and, and folk and songwriting but um, it almost seemed like a way to make himself and his performance at this festival relevant, right? If you hear him saying, oh, on the record, Mick Jagger sings one of these verses, you might be like, oh, shit, this guy really, he really is part of the scene, right? So, I don't know, I noticed that. Um, it was kind of cool, but it was also a little bit distracting. It was like, hey, man, like, let this stand on its own merits, right? Um, and then uh, I think I had to go out and about, maybe do some dinner, um, maybe grocery shop Friday night, and then got back and, and watched a little bit of the, the fish um, set one from Friday. And that was great. 
And so that I wasn't completely antisocial, we did have some plans for Friday night. I said, all right, you know what? This is cool, but I'm gonna get to listen to it later. And it's weird to just sit in a room by yourself with headphones on and watch the computer, watch this festival that's happening um, when you've got plans. Like I was not gonna cancel plans on friends. So uh, we ended up hanging out with, uh, with our family friends on Friday night, which was great. Um, much, much needed um, socializing and, and partying. But part of <laughs> in the back of my mind, I was like, I wonder what fish is jamming right now. Um, and uh, to boot, my, my good buddies that sometimes will swap text messages um, during the fish shows, they were, they were telling me that there was a sick uh, ghost in the best bathtub gin, and I was like, oh, I'm missing it. But I, I, I rewatched it, and yes, it was sick. But it's kind of like sporting events. Uh, you know, it's okay to DVR a sporting event, maybe, but it's, there's a different sort of appeal and a different sort of realism when you know you're watching it in real time. Right. If, if I'm watching the Ravens, uh, first of all, if you watch it in real time, there's no risk of anybody spoiling it for you. Right. There's no father in law that's like, yay, Ravens, way to beat the Broncos. Right. And then you're like, fuck, I haven't watched it yet. Right. So now if I DVR a sporting event, I go airplane mode on my phone. So I'm not going to get spoiled. And I stay off of computers, try to avoid looking at any TVs or anything like that. Um, and then, uh, so I prefer to either watch it real time or maybe let it get 10 minutes uh, behind and then you can fast forward through the commercials. Next time you need to go make a snack or something, you pause it and fast forward through the commercials. So that's kind of my move. But uh, similarly with uh, to sports with live music, it's like, man, there is something kind of exciting about knowing that this is happening right now across the country. Um, you, you, literally all the way across on the East Coast over there in Virginia, this is happening. So there's there's a little bit of an appeal there for me. So um, it's not quite the same to watch it a couple days later. Um, so I, I did sacrifice the fish set two to go party with friends on on Friday night, and uh, that was that was good. It was family you know family party. When I say party, I mean like we got the families together and socialized. Um, but then uh, Saturday morning. I caught the DJ Williams project, and I think he spells project with a K instead of a C. I would have to double check that, but I was very pleased. I was like, ooh, what's this guy doing? And it crossed my mind that I may have seen his band or his group's name, um, his name before, but I don't think I ever followed up with it because I thought he was a DJ. And then I'm like, oh, wait, lo and behold, it's, it's this brother is this black fellow playing guitar and leading this pretty sick band and he's crushing it. I'm like, Oh man. Um, I was like, Oh, this is the DJ Williams project. It's not like some dance, you know, EDM DJ thing. Um, which maybe I'm being a little bit judgy or showing a blind spot here, but you know, I don't really pursue that kind of music. Like if somebody turns me on to it, cool. Like I'll check it out. But, uh, but I think in the past when I've seen DJ Williams project, I'm just like, all right, whatever. <laughs> it's not a band. I'm not interested. Lo and behold, it is a band. It's a really good band. They were, they were working these really cool versions of covers in, um, at one point he was playing the lead guitar, um, and, uh, the, the melody on lead guitar and also singing Nirvana's Nevermind. And I was like, I was like, oh man, that's pretty cool. Um, wait, is that the name of the song? Nevermind's the name of the album. Um, oh, uh, Teenage Spirit. Yeah, that, that bit. 
he was playing that and the band was was playing this cool groove behind it so it was a totally unique interpretation of the tune um they might have just dropped it in on, on one of their tunes or I don't know, I don't remember exactly how they did it, but it definitely caught my ear. And I was like, damn, that's really cool. I really, really dug that. So DJ Williams Project, I'm gonna look them up on uh, on the internet and, and try to figure out a way to support what they're up to and, and check them out some more. Um, after them was Moon Taxi. And this is a band that I had I'd seen their name around a bit from um, opening up for Umphreys McGee on tour. Umphreys McGee has, has brought these guys around and a couple of my friends have seen Moon Taxi. I pulled up their stuff and streamed it online a little bit and I was, uh, I was impressed. I was like, oh, okay, I can see why Umphreys digs these guys and brought them on tour with them. I can see why they're, you know, they're getting bigger. Um, just very, very, uh, so it was, it was guitars and drums and bass and, and they would play little keys too. And the lead guy had a rock persona to him, you know, this long, flowy blonde hair and sunglasses on, and he was ripping on this telly. He could really play some good guitar um, on a te Telecaster, telly, Fender telly. Um, and his band was very good. There was another guitar player that, that was playing these kind of like intricate little, um, you know, picking out these cool little repetitious cyclical cycle notes on his guitar and creating this cool ambiance for the tune. They were really, really tight, really well structured. Their hooks had some melody to them that, that were sing-alongable. Um, they were playing one song that I did recognize from like the radio and stuff, and I don't know if it was theirs or a cover. Um, it was that one that's like, in the good old days. Ah, that's the only part I don't really remember. I was stressed out. That one. I don't know if that's their song or if they were covering it. I think it has a rap in it, but that it might be their song. But I was stressed out in the good old days. So that one caught my ear too. Uh, I'm going to have to look into that. And then uh, Twiddle was after them. And... If you are familiar with um, the last few years of my music career, I was friendly with Twiddle, and I brought them to a show in Baltimore, their first time they played the 8x10, um, and they brought me up to New York City for two gigs um, on two summers in a row. And, you know, we kind of got friendly. Um, it was cool. I got, I, uh, they had me come up and play some guitar on um, a song of theirs on, on their set at the 8x10, and uh, some, you know, they gave me my first gigs in New York City, um, and I think my only gigs to date. But that was like a bucket list thing to drive up from Baltimore, Maryland, to New York City to play some shows. Um, one summer it was solo, and then one summer it was with um, a violin player and a bass player. I got to loop them in, and we all took the road trip together. Um, just great, great adventures. Really, really fun musical adventures. So um, I, I really dig that that I've gotten a chance to become friendly with Twiddle. Um, because you know some of my buddies back in Baltimore knew them from like this, I guess Connecticut scene. They're they're a band out of Vermont. They're kind of in uh, you know along the same veins as Fish. It's a four-piece: bass, drums, keys, and guitar. Um, the uh, lead singer, um, like myself, grew up listening to a bunch of Dave Matthews, and uh, that influence is very evident in the way he sings and the way he writes. But um, but they they. They, they crush a festival set pretty good. They keep it high energy. Um, they work a lot of reggae grooves, so it's pretty accessible. Um, I hear the garage door opening, so the family is home. Um, shit, I've still got a lot 
of the Lock and Fest recap to talk about. Um, let's uh, let's let's hit the pause button on Twiddle, and then uh, I'll be back. Uh, real quick, this was funny. So I was actually chasing the kids a little bit during Twiddle set, and um, the buddy that I was hanging out with, <laughs> I came back into the house and I was expecting Twiddle to be on TV, and I was excited to watch them. He was like, yeah, it all started sounding the same, so I turned it off and put on some Pandora music. And I was like, oh, fuck. I didn't want to be a jerk about it, but I was like, oh, man, like, come on. Um, so a little bit of a buzzkill there. I didn't catch much of Twiddle um, on that set. Um, all right, hold on. I'm going to hit the pause button, and uh, I'll be back later. All right, and I'm back. The family says hello. They are all doing good, and I'm going to wrap up uh, pretty soon so that we can go on a little family walk. It's going to turn out to be a little bit of a sunset walk. Um, so, yeah, left off um, with uh, Twiddle. Um, Phil Lesh and Friends, later that night was the next time I, I got back to the screen, so I'm sure there was some stuff I missed. But uh, they had Anders Osborne, who is a really cool... Um, singer songwriter guitar player out of new orleans and he was on there singing some songs um when i tuned in they also had um john fishman from fish playing drums and Paige mcconical Paige mcgonagall is that a harry potter character no his name is Paige mcconnell i think mcgonagall um is a harry potter character and also the last name of of uh our of our old nanny old babysitter she was so sweet anyway hey shout out cat if you're listening um <laughs> uh so phil lesh and friends was, was cool you know the the dead tunes just they they i think they will always sort of um prevail through the festival scene right people are always going to be covering grateful dead stuff and and uh, while we still have some surviving members, of course, they're doing their side projects and stuff. And Phil Lesh always looks like he's having a good time and getting some really good players to come jam with him. So that's pretty cool. You know, um, I was never the, the hugest Grateful Dead fan, but I, I, I dig it. I get it. Um, I, I get why it's important to the festival scene is, is that sort of, you know, where it all kind of stems from. Um, so Phil Lesh and Friends was cool to watch. Um, very smart guest spots by Derek Trucks and Susan Tedeschi. Um, if you don't know about those two, they've got a band called Tedeschi Trucks Band, and it was a very smart guest spot because they were the next act. I was like, oh, isn't that clever, right? So you're at a festival, the band in front of you is crushing, and then you get to come up and crush with them and demonstrate, um, if you're Derek, how badass of a slide guitar player you are. If you're Susan, uh, how soulful um, and powerful your vocals are. Um, what were they singing? They were singing Sugary. It was really good. I'm going to have to maybe find a recording of that and enjoy that again. Because Sugary was fun with, uh, with Tedeschi and Trucks guesting. And then it's like, if you're in the, in the, in the crowd, and you're like, man, who are those two? And then someone leans over and is like, hey, yeah, they're up next. Or you check your program, and it's like Tedeschi Trucks is up next. And then at the end of Sugary, Phil Lesh goes, hey, Derek Trucks, Susan Tedeschi. You go, oh, shit, I'm going to stick around. That was great. So very smart. Um, probably a good warm-up for them, too. So they crushed it, obviously. Um, so while the Tedeschi Trucks band was on, I'm, I'm a big fan of theirs. I think they're great. 
um, because I can find something to be critical about everything, even stuff that I love, um, they might be a little too polished. (laughs) I don't know if that's possible, but they are so polished and their band is so tight. It's a big band, at least for this festival. They had horns, multiple backup singers, um, tons of players. Uh, the, The keyboard player went on this groovy flute solo this flute battle back and forth with Derek on the on the guitar and uh and man for as fantastic as a slide guitar player as Derek Trucks is um he kind of grew up in the Allman Brothers band scene right so he uh um you know he plays or did play with uh when when Greg Allman was continuing the Allman Brothers band um the I think the most steady lineup of post Dickie post Dwayne Allman passing um, Dwayne Allman was the original side guitar player. Um, Dickie Betts, the original other lead guitar player songwriter. Um, and Greg Allman is on the organ, right? So Greg keeps the band alive all these years later. Although I think they did just hang it up, which is kind of sad. But he was going for all these years later. And um, the most steady lineup, I think, was when Warren Haynes, um, another hardworking um, you know, rock jam scene musician, and uh, was was on guitar, and Derek Trucks was playing the, the slide parts, right? So beautiful, beautiful renditions of Allman Brothers tunes and keeping that legacy alive, right? Talking about the Grateful Dead legacy, I came more from an Allman Brothers uh, legacy. Regacy? Regacy. The Allman Brothers legacy. Um, the Allman Brothers was really my roots from, but just based on what my dad was listening to. My folks played a little bit of Dead here and there, but mostly just the uh, American Beauty album. Um, if it sounds like I'm rushing, it is, it's because I am, I want to wrap this up so we can go on our walk. Um, but I do want to, to get my two cents out about locking here. So during Tedeschi trucks, I was, um, I did want to enjoy their set, but I was also very distracted. It was during dinner, um, sort of leading up to dinner. So I was grilling some chicken and then I would go check on the show real quick. Um, and then I was, uh, also getting my girls showered, um, because I think they were maybe splashing around in the pool earlier, or maybe they were just due for a shower. So I was uh, showering my girls in, um, in <laughs> I had my computer, you know, in the next room over. And I was, I was like, all right, you guys good? All right, I'll shampoo real quick. All right, shampoo, shampoo. Okay, you rinse off. I'm going to go check the show. And I would go watch a little bit of Tedeschi Trucks. Um, and uh, the other thing that was really fun about that, having this free stream was, I really enjoyed just sending out some text messages to people, um, my family included, where I was like, hey, just so you know, there's some free festival music going on right now, really cream of the crop stuff. Um, I knew my mom and dad would probably be excited about Tedeschi Trucks, um, so I sent it uh, to them. I said, hey, guys, here's a stream. Um, I included my Uncle Mike on that text message, too, in in case he wanted to hop in there because he's a music lover. Um, And... uh, uh, it was fun to just be like, hey, people, there's some free live music going on. Enjoy it, you know. Um, and that's that's part of the reason why I posted it on Facebook, too. Um, and so it turns out my folks, uh, they I talked to my mom later that weekend, and they didn't get around to, to tuning in during Tedeschi Trucks, but they did tune in in time to catch My Morning Jacket. And My Morning Jacket must have had a huge headliner show. Um, I don't know... Um, I wasn't that uh, tuned in um, for my morning jacket. I saw that they, I saw the start of their set, and I was like, "Sweet, my morning jacket is cool." I've known about these guys for a while. I've never seen them live, but I, I really appreciate the live performance that they put on. I think they're there. I think they're really cool. And um, so it was on, like maybe right before I went to go sit down for dinner. Um, again, another benefit about being on the West Coast was I was streaming this stuff 
uh, three hours behind in terms of time. So an 8.30 headliner set for my time was 5.30 p.m. So it was really cool. You know, they wrap up at midnight. It's over by 9, and I'm in bed, which is great. Um, so my morning jacket just crushes it. And they must have played a long time because then, you know, I had the rest of my night with my family, and then I go to lay down, and I'm like, hey, I wonder what's going on in Locken. So literally in my bed, I'm, I'm streaming Locken, and my morning jacket is still crushing it for, like, the last half of their second set or something. Um, they, uh, they did some nice musical tributes to some fallen heroes. Um, uh, they played Rebel Rebel. Um, by David Bowie, and they played Purple Rain by Prince. So that was, I think, their way of tipping the hat to some some rock legends that we've lost this year. Um, really cool Rebel Rebel, really cool Purple Rain. Um, yeah, really big production, big rock band, just in your face. Um, Jim James wailing on the vocals, of course, as he does. So my morning jacket was really cool. Um, what was next? So my morning jacket, and then they had a replay of the Joe Russo, uh, again, Grateful Dead, again, George, uh, Joe Russo is a drummer. Um, I know of him from the Benevento Russo duo, who I saw at All Good many, many, many years ago, and was one of the peak moments of my musical, like, live music going as a fan experiences, because Benevento Russo, for two guys with drums and, and keyboards and, and effects and, and stuff. We're just making so much noise and such beautiful music. And it was almost as if they were playing notes that I had never heard before. Like it was that kind of thing. Um, very, very impactful uh, fan experience watching those guys at All Good. Um, and then I got to catch them um, on or around my birthday. Um, you know, a couple of years after that. So this was many years ago, but Joe Russo is the drummer from that group and he's uh, got good feel. He does some interesting things with time signatures. And lately he's been throwing together these projects of um, uh, playing dead tunes with other players. So Joe Russo kind of leads and, and uh, gets some good players together and they play some dead tunes and uh, really tight set. I think it was a replay from the night before, but uh, really tight set. I was watching it and enjoying it. Um, really good transitions, really good tempo, dynamics, just a lot of really, really smart things as a performer to take away from. I was like, ooh, these guys, they thought it out, but it also still had enough room to breathe. And I think Benevento might have been playing keys with them because whoever was playing keys was grooving with Russo. Um, I'm going to have to look into that. Uh, I didn't recognize him, but he might have just grown his hair out. But some of the stuff he was doing, I was like, that's got to be Marco Benevento. Um, if it's not, I, I was impressed either way, but I, I hope it is because I think it would be cool that it was like Marco and Joe playing these dead tunes with these other cool players. Um, there was, uh, and then Sunday, <laughs> so it just keeps going, right? Festival, it's exhausting. It takes, uh, it takes a marathon even just to stream it from, your, from the comfort of your own home. Uh, Sunday morning, I saw a little bit of Dharma Initiative. Um, I'll be honest, uh, I was cooking breakfast at the time, so I was a little distracted. There were that group that was playing that early Sunday set where you're like, hey, I'm proud of you for making it here, but there's a reason you're on this early Sunday set, right? You know, you're still breaking in. They, they kind of looked just kind of like s smelly hippies to me. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure they're nice, but, uh, you know, just sort of, I was like, eh, all right. Like, and also, so this is tough too, the Sunday early spot, like, 
I was experiencing some music fatigue by this point, and I wasn't even there, right? I was only catching little bits of it here and there, and I love music, and I play music every day, and I enjoy it every day, but at a festival, there is, I swear, there's got to be something about just your brain getting smashed by music over and over and over again. You're just getting smashed over the head with music in your ear holes. Um, <laughs> uh, ear holes, is that a Tenacious D thing? I, I, I try to cite my references when I, when I throw them out there so I'm not accused of um, plagiarizing any fun references. So yeah, you know, if you're at a festival, you're just hearing music over and over and again, dancing, and it's like, how many different fucking ways can you hear a seven chord resolve to, you know, the one, right? I mean, these guys are the cream of the crop musicians, and I'm getting bored of music watching it. I'm like, this is too much. I need a break. Um, so I was cognitive of this. I've experienced this in the past, um, you know, at, at All Good. And even at Fish last summer, I was like, by Sunday, I was like, how are they going to play anything else that's interesting at this point? Like, we've listened to so many hours of these four guys making music. Now, granted, they were still able to pull it off pretty well. But just, I think the synapses and sort of like the dopamine or whatever the pleasure center is in your brain that's like tickled by music, right? You're like, oh, yay, this is like Im impacting my neurology. You know, if you go to that level, I'm sure there's something like if you do it too much, it's not going to feel fun anymore. Like you literally will not have the physical capacity to enjoy yourself by this means at this moment because you've just used it all up. Like you need to let that shit recharge a little bit. So I think that was going on a little bit um, for myself Sunday morning. And uh, yeah, the Dharma Initiative, good for you guys. I'm sure you're doing great things, but uh, you know, didn't quite didn't quite grab me. Um, Twiddle had another set on Sunday. Um, I was impressed. I noticed that on the Friday night uh, or the, the Friday afternoon set, they said, "We'll see you on Sunday" or something, right? Um, or it might have been Saturday morning. They might have said, "We'll see you tomorrow." Yeah, it was Saturday morning. Um, morning for me, afternoon for them. So we'll see you tomorrow. I was like, "Oh, that's fucking cool." Twiddle got two sets at this festival. Um, they're they're doing big things. They're they're being very successful. I'm proud of them. Um, and uh, Twiddle, so Twiddle did their thing again. I'm just like, this is my Sunday. Like I can't just sit around watching a festival on a computer all day. So I was out and about doing things. But I did catch the last couple of their tunes. Um, in you know, I started streaming on my phone and I had my headphones on while I was doing some dishes and cleaning up around the house. So I did catch the last couple tunes. And how amazing is that? That music that was happening in Virginia. Um, you know, they were recording it and broadcasting it on the internet, and then I was streaming it in my home and feeding it through from my phone into my headphones and walking around my house listening to this band play. Um, it was pretty amazing. So they, they wrapped up their set with a couple um, heavy hitters. Um, Carter, Carter Candlestick, I heard that one, and then into, uh, I think they went into Franken, Frankenfoot um, after that one. So they had some heavy hitter jam tunes um, for them to wrap up with. Uh, super proud of those guys. Way to go, Twiddle. Um, and then Ziggy Marley came up next. And as much as I just talked about festival fatigue, Ziggy Marley, I was like, man, how fun would it be to be there right now? They were playing Bob Marley tunes. Um, just really, really tight, really good. Ziggy sounds great. Um, I'd seen him once before 
Um, and I knew it was a good time, but for whatever reason, the, I was like, oh man, that would be fun. Like I wanted that nitty gritty festival experience for Ziggy Marley's set. I was like, I want it to smell bad mixed with good from like food vendors mixed with bad from like porta potties mixed with good from, you know, people enjoying a toke, a couple people over, you know, like who, you know, the smell of beer in the morning and like all that, all that fun, just gnarliness that comes with a festival. I was like, I want that right now. I was craving it during the Ziggy Marley set. Um, so I caught a little bit of him and, and was like, I, I actually said that to my wife too. I was like, I, I want to be there right now. Like almost more so than in any of the other moments. I was like, I would love to be there right now. She was like, yeah, this is great. Um, and we talked a little bit about, um, you know, sons or, or daughters, you know, offspring of, of artists and whether or not they make it their own musical career or, um, or leverage what their parents did before them. So we kind of had a fun conversation about Ziggy Marley. Um, and we're, we're glad he's, he's doing what he's doing cause he's doing it really well. Um, and then uh, I was aware of festival fatigue and I didn't want it to get me down because I was really excited and sort of playing my day around streaming the fish concert Sunday night. I'd even invited a buddy over, you know, we were going to make some dinner, have a couple beers, uh, run the show through my, um, my TV um, and, uh, and make it, you know, make it a social experience and, and really enjoy the fish set. And I thought to myself, man, I cannot keep listening to music all day or I'm not going to have any fun when, when Fish comes around. So I purposefully, you know, kind of shut down the music um, and uh, started, I don't know, streaming some podcasts. I listened to a bit of Bill Burr, caught up on some Bill Burr, um, which is great. Uh, listened to, and I listened to a little bit of Joe Rogan, um, just in general, in terms of the podcasts that I like. I like uh, Radiolab a lot. I like Joe Rogan. I like Bill Burr. I like Mark Marin. Um, I messed around with the Sklar brothers a little bit. Sklar brothers. That's kind of tough to say. Um, uh, the sports junkies from back in D.C. They talk sports. Uh, that's uh, they're they're hysterical. So you know, I got a lot that I like to stream. That's not just music. Um, and, uh, and all those things are obviously inspiring me and influencing me in my delivery of, of this podcast. Um, but so, yeah, I had to take an intermission <laughs> from music. And then uh, I, I wanted to get everything set up. And when I got it running through the TV, the Chris Robinson Brotherhood was on. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. I, I'm a Black Crows fan. I really dug what they were doing. Um, they were great, just sort of. They know what they're doing when it comes to putting on some rock and, and soul show. Um, so really dug Chris Robinson Brotherhood. Earlier this summer, I had gone on a Black Crows and Led Zeppelin kick where I was reminding myself what like rock roots was all about. And I was like, yes, this is some good stuff. Um, I think there was more Phil Lesh. Always a good time. Happy, happy dude. He's wearing his... his uh, armband that says Cody on it because he's a big uh, uh, advocate for donating um, organs, right? So if, if you should come to pass away, you should donate your organs so that they can be used. Um, he goes on the spiel about that. So uh, it's very close to him. And I, I enjoyed seeing that he kind of wears it proudly, uh, literally on his armband. It says Cody on it. Um, what else? And then it got into the fish show um, and fish rocked. And I did a, a good enough job of avoiding my ear fatigue and was able to enjoy that with, uh, with a buddy who came over. And uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was locking. 
Um, I know that was a lot, uh, but I thought I should talk a little bit music stuff on a, a podcast by a musician. Um, so yeah, other than that, uh, that was locking. Um, I, um, I am going to go on, speaking of ear fatigue, I'm going to take a little break from listening to fish because I'm going to go watch them um, at uh, the end of October in Vegas. So that should be fun. But I am going to give my ears a little break um, uh, from the fish jams and uh, enjoy listening to some other music. So if you got any recommendations of stuff I should check out or I'm going to go circle back and revisit a bunch of these artists that I discovered or rediscovered um, from the lock and stream. So I've got a lot of fun listening ahead and, and I'm sure it'll be influential and inspiring and, uh, and a nice break from fish so that I can come to them with fresh ears in October, um, uh, over in Vegas. So, you know, um, I was a little grumpy before, but Hey, life is good. Um, for the most part, or you got to do your best to make it good. Right. Um, so, uh, time for me to go enjoy a walk with the family and, um, I'll check in with everybody next week. Peace. Bass drum gets a little sloppy there.